Hello, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome to the Sales Hacker Podcast, and welcome to Friday Fundamentals. We're so excited to have back on the show Dr. Gleb Sapersky. Dr. Gleb has written an amazing book on the coronavirus that, that just came out called Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic. We talked all about that on the Tuesday episode, but today we want to talk about more broadly decision-making in a business context. And uh, the book that he wrote before, the book on coronavirus is, is called Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. And so today we're going to ask him about the best decision-making process to avoid cognitive bias. Now, before we get there, we want to thank our sponsor, of course. Friday Fundamentals is brought to you by Outreach. Outreach triples the productivity of sales teams and empowers them to drive predictable and measurable revenue growth. By prioritizing the right activities and scaling customer engagement with intelligent automation, Outreach makes customer-facing teams more effective and improves visibility into what really drives results. Now, Dr. Gleb, welcome back to the show. And our question to you, or, or our request of you, is give us a framework for making better decisions that help us avoid common cognitive bias that are endemic to the human race so that we can be more effective in our jobs. Happy to, Sam. So, well, what I want to share about is an eight-step decision-making model that integrates a lot of debiasing strategies. And debiasing strategies are the strategies that really have been discovered in the last 10, 20 years that actually address these cognitive biases. And they're more discovered every day that actually address these cognitive biases, these over 100 dangerous judgment errors that we tend to fall into. So this is an eight-step model that I developed that integrates a number of them together. First, you want to identify the need for a decision to be made. It's very easy for us to skip this step because we don't think about the need to make a decision. So for example, think about what happened to Kodak. Now, what happened to Kodak was that Kodak, I don't know if you know that, but Kodak actually invented the original uh, digital camera, that they created this, um, they, they created the digital camera themselves, and then they chose to not develop it. <laughs> that They chose to not develop it. They said that, well, hey, they created in 1983, but our photographic business is much more lucrative. So in the early 1990s, when digital cameras started becoming increasingly popular, they saw that their profit margins on photographic film was 60%, and digital cameras and film would be something like 30%, and they decided to just focus on photographic film. Well, what they failed to realize, and they failed to make the decision as digital cameras were getting increasingly popular, that zero percent, that sixty uh, percent of zero is still zero, and they eventually went bankrupt in 2012 because they didn't identify the need for decision to be made to switch in a timely manner. By contrast, Fuji was in a similar position, but they understood that digital cameras were going to become increasingly popular, and they chose to squeeze their photographic film business, invest in digital, and they're still around doing pretty well you know, at the six billion dollar mark or so. So that's an example. Second, you want to gather relevant information from a variety of perspectives. So let's say you're thinking about switching your job, shifting your career, going into a new industry. Let's you know, potentially to respond to the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic where it's hitting your industry really badly. If you're in the restaurant industry or something like that, and you want to switch to a different industry, I actually have a client who did that from switching from the restaurant industry. She was the COO of a chain of restaurants, about 24 chains of restaurants in the Midwest. And she decided to switch from that because it clearly was not going to be a good business to be in. 
You want to get relevant information from a variety of people who don't share your perspectives, who don't share the same perspectives that you do. So let's say if you're an optimist, then, and that's called the optimism bias, where you tend to be too oriented toward a friendly future. You want to get information from a pessimist, though, from pessimism bias, people who are too risk averse, and you want to understand more about it. And if you're switching your industry, of course, you want to learn about the new industry, you want to learn about the process of switching, so people who don't share your perspectives. Then decide your goals, paint a clear vision of the desired outcome. What do you want the future to look like for yourself in this ideal vision of the future? So for my client, she wanted a job that would get her to financial stability and security for her family while having growth and potential for growth in the future. So that's what she wanted to see happen. And she was willing to step down the career ladder from COO to some other position, which often happens when you switch industries. If you if you want to switch industries and uh, to have a better shot at growth later on. Then you want to develop clear decision-making criteria to evaluate options. So whatever decision you're looking for, you want to have criteria and you want to do that before you develop options themselves. So don't develop options before you have decision-making criteria. So for example, for my client, one of her decision-making criteria was that the industry would be stable, that she was switching into. Another one was that there's high potential for growth. Another one was that there's room for innovation. So she wants, she liked innovation, she liked being creative. She, was an op- she is an optimist and she's pretty creative. So that's something that she wanted to go into. And then you want to weigh those. How important is each for you? So for her, financial stability was, uh, weigh them on a scale of one to 10. So the, for her, financial stability was most important. So she weighed that as a 10. Innovation was somewhat important. So she weighed that as a four. And then room for growth was pretty important. So she weighed that as an eight. Next, generate viable options that can achieve your goals. So here's where you generate options. Now, this is the step five. This is where so many people, so many, especially in leadership positions, tend to fail. They have so many decisions to make every day that they just want to satisfy, get the first available option and move onward. For major decisions, and this is a framework for really major decisions, like shifting your career, launching a major new business, doing an M&A for a company, something like that. These decisions, you want to take the time to generate at least five viable options, options that you would be happy with, that you think you'll be happy with. You want to do that because you want to make the best decision possible. And to do that, you need at least five viable options. That's what the research shows. Then weigh the options, picking the best of the bunch. So here you use your previous framework of the weighing criteria that you had before. So for her industry stability, potential for growth and innovation, and look at the various options that you have available. She had a number of options where ranging from the meal kit industry to food processing, to industry, to food delivery, to grocery, and she decided that grocery best fits her scale of stability, room for growth and room for innovation. It doesn't seem like innovation is all that much in the grocery industry, but it's actually quite growing in a number of ways, so you can be quite creative in it. Then implement the option that you chose. That's the seventh step. As part of implementation, there are two steps that you want to be thinking about. First, avoid failure, prevent failure. You want to imagine that your decision completely failed, completely blew up in your face, and figure out why it might have failed, what are all the reasons why it might have failed. So this is called the pre-mortem part of it. For her, the failure might have come from 
the fact that she was moving into an industry that was more male-dominated than the previous restaurant industry that she was in. So that was something that she was somewhat uncomfortable about and that she might have failed in if she failed to know how to navigate this industry. And if that wasn't so she was committed to address that problem, addressing the problem by getting some mentors, both male and female, who would help her in this new role. Now, the next one is part of this is imagine success, maximize success. Imagine why it really succeeded. Your decision really succeeded. It's called the pre-parade. So somebody might launch a pre-parade in your honor. So why did it succeed and address make sure that it maximizes the success. She figured out that one of the reasons that she would succeed is that she brought her expertise from the restaurant sector and helped innovate in the grocery sector, in the grocery industry sector, grocery store industry sector. So she was determined before she applied for a number of jobs to evaluate her experience and see how it could be made to fit in the grocery industry sector and especially customer service experience. She figured that that was something that was going to be really important for her as a valuable asset. And then evaluate the implementation process and revise as needed. So she eventually was able to secure a job as the regional district manager of a large chain of grocery stores. Of course, a couple of steps down the career ladder, but she had a lot of room for growth. And she figured with her experience, she can grow pretty quickly. Now, for evaluating the process, you need to create metrics. So she had metrics of mentors that she would develop and the number of meetings she would have with them, as well as contacts in this new industry that she would develop over time and she had clear metrics that she wanted to hit by the three months by six months nine months and so on so she just recently changed into this new industry so i'm not sure you know how well she'll hit them but it looks like she's on the way to hitting them and what she will do and what you should do is if you're not hitting those metrics you want to make sure to revise evaluate the situation and revise it as needed until you actually hit those metrics. So this eight-step process that I just talked through is going to be very effective for you to make any major decision, avoid failures, maximize success. That's amazing, Gleb. So let me uh, restate it for, for the folks that are out there listening because we ran through them pretty quickly. So the first step is identify the need to launch a decision-making process. The second, gather relevant information from a variety of informed perspectives often looking for people that disagree with you or that Mm -hmm. represent a different perspective. Third, with the data, you decide the goals you want to reach. So obviously clarify your goals, painting a clear vision of the desired outcome for your decision-making process. Fourth, so three is decide your goals. Four is establish decision-making criteria. Five is generate a number of options. And what you said was the right number of options is five. Apparently you're supposed to choose five five. different, five, at least five. That's what the research shows. Number six, weigh the options using your criteria and pick the best of them. Seventh, implement the option that you chose. And then eight, evaluate the success or effectiveness of that implementation on an ongoing basis. And of course, iterate if you feel like you haven't done a good job with implementation. Is that all accurate? That is all accurate. Excellent, Sam. You, You got it all. Absolutely. Wonderful. Good. All right. Awesome. All right. So, uh, well, Gleb, uh, Dr. Sapersky, thank you so much for being on the show this week. So remind us of, you know, you, you had a great synopsis of all of the different ways that people can interact with you. So give us that information again if folks didn't hear it on, on Tuesday. Of course. Both of my books, Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic and Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters are available on Amazon, in well, Barnes Noble, bookstores near you, if they're still open, anywhere like that. So enjoy those books. 
My own information is on disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. There's blogs, videos, podcasts, decision aids, guides, manuals, virtual coaching, consulting, training. You want to especially check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for a free eight video-based module course on making the wisest decisions. Again, eight video-based modules class on making the wisest decisions at disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe. Finally, my favorite social media is LinkedIn. I'm highly available there. So connect with me there. Ask me any questions about anything you've heard in this podcast. Dr. Gleb Sipursky on LinkedIn, G-L-E-B-T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Gleb. If folks want to reach out to me, they can. LinkedIn.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. Of course, we want to thank our wonderful sponsor, Outreach. Outreach triples the productivity of sales teams, empowering them to drive predictable and measurable revenue growth. They are the leading sales engagement platform, and they're an incredible partner, both of Sales Hacker, but also of the company that I run during the day, Revenue Collective. So we thank Outreach. Dr. Gleb, thanks for being on the show, and everybody else, we'll talk to you next time.